Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. I thought tonight that I'd start teaching uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, but I really struggle with this because we're not going to get through verse 1 tonight. (laughs) Jesus will have already come back by the time we get to chapter 3. So I struggle with line upon line because I get on rabbit trails, but let's begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's, let's just read verses 1 through 3, all right? It says this, this letter is from Paul. So that right there tells you who the author is. The Apostle Paul is the author. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sothenus. I'm writing, verse 2, to God's church. So this, one of the first things you, you do when you're studying the Bible is you ask, who is writing and who are they writing to? If you understand those two things, you've come a long way in properly uh, translating the context of the Scripture. Okay? You have to be able to... Co- See, a lot of people will take one verse completely out of context and use it for their situation when it does not apply to their situation. So one of the questions, two questions you always ask is who's writing, who are they writing to? So we see that Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians, and verse 2 says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. So he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. We could say he's writing to us who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Verse 3. Now here's something you always remember. We'll run past this verse every time. But notice what he says. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Um, you know, as we go through the book of Corinthians, you'll see these people had problems. I mean, they were messed up people. They were having immoral sexual behavior. They were suing one another. They had outbursts of disorder in their church services. Gossip was running rampant. They didn't have any biblical, very little biblical foundation whatsoever. They were charismatic Uh, out-of-control, charismatic people uh, with the gifts of the Spirit. And yet, notice what the Lord says to them. He sends you grace and peace. Grace and peace. He's not mad at them. He's not upset with them. He's not getting ready to punish them. He's not going to curse them. Notice, with all of their problems, he says, the Lord sends you grace and peace. I tell you, God's a good God. Just always remember that. I don't care if you mess up. I don't care if you're having a bad day. I don't care how tough things are. God loves you so much. And he sends you grace and peace. God is for you. So let's do a little history. Corinth is an ancient city 
about 45 miles west of Athens. Take that off just a second. It's an ancient city about 45 miles west of Athens. Not Athens, Tennessee. Athens, Greece. It's on a narrow stretch of land that joins the Peloponnese to the mainland of Greece. Now, Corinth, where this church was located was an important city in ancient Greece because it played a major role in the missionary work of the Apostle Paul. And we'll see that. Today, today, Corinth is the second largest city in those islands and is, uh, has several important sites for tourists and pilgrims. In fact, Tony Cook, who has been with us several times, when he does the Greek Isles, one of the places he takes tours on is Corinth. The site of ancient Corinth, the original city, was first inhabited in the Neolithic period. And that was 5,000 to 3,000 B.C. So it's an old city, an old city. 5,000 B.C. is when the first people were known to be in Corinth. And it flourished as a major Greek city in the 8th century B.C. until it was destroyed. The city was destroyed in 146 B.C. Now, let me tell you a little bit about its uh, historical fame. Put, you can put it up there now, but Corinth was conquered by Philip II of Macedon in 338 B.C. But it was named the meeting place of Philip's new Hellenic confederacy. After Philip, he was assassinated. Alexander the Great. How many of you have ever heard of Alexander the Great? Uh, uh, he's, he's kin to, to Wayne the Lesser. Alexander the Great... Immediately, he came to Corinth to meet with the Confederacy. And he confirmed his leadership and forestalled any thoughts of rebellion. As the Ithmian Games of 336 B.C., the Greeks chose Alexander the Great to lead them in the war against the Persians. Now, Corinth was partially destroyed by the Romans in 146 B.C., But in 44 B.C., it was rebuilt as a Roman city under another historical figure, Julius Caesar. So Alexander the Great had dealings in Corinth. Julius Caesar had uh, dealings in Corinth. Corinth prospered more than ever before under the Romans and Julius Caesar. And it had as many as 800,000 inhabitants by the time of Paul. So you can see this is a major area. This isn't, this isn't uh, Woodbury. This is, um, of course, people from Woodbury think that's awful big. But 800,000 people is, uh, who lived there when Paul came into the city. It was the capital of Roman Greece, equally devoted to business and pleasure, and mostly it was populated by free men and by Jews. Now let's talk about the the culture of Corinth a little bit. It's commerce. Let's talk about its commerce first. It's commerce. It's located just off the Corinthian Isthmus. Corinth was a crossroads for travelers and traders. It had two harbors, one on either side, the Sincrea and the Sargonic Gulf. 
And goods were transported from one harbor to the other. And it had something that the early world had never heard of before. It had a road, a stone road, that went from one harbor on one side of the gulf to another harbor on another gulf on the other side of the landmass so that, that ships... It would bring their trade. They would not have to go around the horn. They would stop on one side, unload, and then bring their goods over to the other side, put them on a ship, and take off. And that's what made Corinth such an a important trade route because many ships would lose their cargo due to the storms of winter when they went around the horn of the Greek Isles. It's culture. Corinth was not a university town like Athens. Athens, Greece, was where the university was. Corinth was not a university town. It was characterized, nevertheless, by a typical Greek culture. Its people were interested in Greek philosophy and placed a high premium on wisdom. The Greeks were very shrewd when it came to education. The religion... Now you say, Pastor, why are you telling us all this? Because you need to understand the environment in which Paul preached to these people and how the church was established and what kind of environment this church was established. I hear Christians all the time talk about, boy, things are tough. Oh, things are tough. Things are tough. We're living in a sinful world. Listen, we got it made compared to the early church and what they had to live in. It's religion. Get this. Corinth contained at least 12 temples to various gods. We get all upset about the, 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 uh, the mosque. People are all upset about the mosque. Let me tell you, what if you had 12 different religions with temple? They, Corinth had 12 different temples. And whether they were all in use during Paul's time is not known, but at one time they had 12 different temples. One of the most infamous was the temple dedicated to Aphrodite, which was in use during Paul's time. She was the goddess of love, whose worshipers practiced religious prostitution. And about a fourth of a mile north of the theater stood the temple of Asphius. And he uh, literally was the uh, god of um, healing. So they believed in healing, but they didn't believe it came from Jehovah God. And then uh, they had a temple to Apollo was located there. In addition, the Jews had established a synagogue. Now, like any large commercial city, Corinth was the center for an open and unbridled immorality. The worship of Aphrodite fostered prostitution in the name of religion. At one time, over 1,000 sacred priestesses, prostitutes, served her temple. In fact, they felt like sex through a prostitute was some type of spiritual experience. So widely known did the immorality of Corinth become, it became so widely known and common around the world of the immorality of Corinth that a Greek verb to Corinthicize came to mean to practice sexual immorality. To Corinthicize. All right? So, it's a setting like this that it's no wonder that the Corinthian church was plagued with so many numerous problems of the flesh. And immorality. 
Because this is the type of environment that these people came from. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul visited Corinth in 50 A.D. 50 A.D. And later wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. They're known in your Bible as the book of 1 Corinthians, which is the first letter, and the book of 2 Corinthians, which is the second letter. He wrote them after he left Corinth, but when he was there to establish the church, Paul lived in Corinth, according to the Bible, for 18 months. And while he was there, he's worked as a tent maker, and he converted Jews and pagans to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was in Corinth that he met Priscilla and Aquila, who are mentioned in the Bible. He met them. They were residents of Corinth. In fact, if you want to find out about Paul in Corinth, let's turn over to the 18th chapter of Acts. I hope you brought your Bible. 18th chapter of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 18. All right? Let's look at Acts chapter 18. Let's begin reading with verse number 1. Acts chapter 18, verse number 1. Notice what it says. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Remember, Athens was 48 miles from Corinth. So Paul left Athens and he travels 48 miles to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So they got deported from Rome and was sent, all the Jews were deported out of Rome and were sent to various countries of Europe. And Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila the husband, Priscilla the wife, ended up in Corinth. That's where they were sent to. Much like after World War, during World War II, the Nazis deported the Jews all over. Unfortunately, six million of them ended up in concentration camps and and died. Over six million of them died. But that was the whole, to get rid of them, to deport them. From where they were. Wherever the Germans were going to become the uh, control and dominate, they didn't want any Jews. Same way with Romans. They didn't want any Jews in Rome, so they deported them. It just so happened that Aquila and Priscilla were deported to Corinth, and that's where they encountered the Apostle Paul. Paul lived, verse 3, and worked with them. So he lived with this couple, for they were tent makers just as he was. You say, what do you mean? What, is that? what spiritually does that mean? At, spiritually, that means he was a tent maker. <laughs> There's no spiritual application. He worked making tents. Verse 4, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue. So on, on the Sabbath, he went to church. He went to church. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, that, Silas, that was Paul's two uh, helpers. After they came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, 
Now, now, understand the context here. Remember the environment. These people are not godly people. These are not Christian. This is not a Christian city. There's 12 temples here to all types of gods. Immoral stuff going on in the name of God. And Paul begins to preach Jesus. And as soon as he begins to preach Jesus, they oppose him and they insult him. They oppose him and insult him. They start calling him names. And Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. So he came into, just like Jesus, the Bible says in the book of John, he came into his own, and his own received him, them, him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to the, become the sons of God. Now here's a lesson for you. Some of you have gone to your family. Some of you have gone to your friends. Some of you have gone to people you really love, and you've tried to share what Jesus has done in your life. And they don't give you the time of day. They might make fun of you. They reject you. They might even treat you differently now because you're different than they are. And it's hurt you and it's offended you and it's hurt your feelings. Notice what Paul did. He went to the Jews first, his own people. They didn't receive him. They insulted him. They abused him and opposed him. And then the Bible says, so he said, okay, so be it. He didn't quit preaching. He didn't quit quit sharing. He then went and found somebody who would listen to him. So if you have some family members or friends who won't listen to you, that's not a sign from God for you to stop sharing your testimony. You just find somebody. Listen to me. There is somebody waiting to hear your story. There's always somebody waiting to hear your story. It might not be who you want to hear it. It might not be the person that you love the most that needs it. But you keep sharing it. Somebody is waiting to hear your story. And Paul said, okay, you won't hear me. I'm going to go to the Gentiles from now on. Verse 7. Then he left and went to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God, and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. So Paul had some good results. He had some people that believed him. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul. They became believers and were baptized. So Paul is having some results in Corinth. Even though he's opposed, even though he's insulted, even though some people don't believe, he's starting to make some headway with some people. One night, verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out. So that lets us know that people had been threatening him. And the Lord has to tell him, don't be afraid. You just go on and speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, 18 months. Paul lived in Corinth for 18 months, teaching the word of God. Verse 12. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. So they call him in. They accuse Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. In other words, 
They said he's doing it different than we've done it. They were right. Paul was guilty of that. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews. Remember, Galio, he's a Roman. Listen, you Jews, if this was a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourself. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. Verse 17. The crowd then grabbed Sophonus. Notice they didn't grab Paul. You know why they didn't grab Paul? The angels of God protected Paul. Remember what the Lord says? Don't you be scared. Nobody's going to harm you. So even though there was a mob there, they couldn't touch him. They couldn't touch him because the word of the Lord already said, nobody's going to harm you. So they grab his assistant. (laughs) That's when you don't want to be on staff of a church. All the staff pastors need to say, Pastor, did the Lord say to you, if they come after after you, am I safe too? You know, because you're going to the head of the line. Because the Lord's going to take care of me, Pastor Gary. You're going to the head of the line. The crowd then grabbed Sothenus, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Galio paid no attention. I mean, the judge let him beat him. And he didn't do anything about it. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after then, said goodbye to the brothers and sisters, and went nearby to Sincrea. There he shaved his head, according to the Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria. Boy, hadn't we heard of Syria here lately in the news. Taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. So that's the story of the 18, the generalization of the 18 months that Paul lived in Corinth. And from those 18 months, the church is birthed. And now what we read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is letters that Paul is writing back to them after he had left years later. And now he's writing back to them. Everybody with me? Everybody understand? Now, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what it says. This letter is from Paul. Okay? Now, understand when Paul was writing this, he didn't know he was writing a book of the Bible. He just thought he's writing a letter. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother, Sothenus. All right? Everybody with me? Everybody say Sothenus. <laughs> Stupid names. Now, this tells us who's the writer. Paul's the writer. All right? He's the author of the letter. But not only him, he says he had some help in writing it. And who was it? Sothenus. Now, who was Sothenus? He's the guy that got beat up. All right? He got beat up. So he become a believer. He was a part of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth. 
He heard Paul, accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, paid the price of getting beaten, beaten up because he accepted Christ and the Spirit of God came upon him and he was able with Paul to write the famous letter we know as 1 Corinthians. He's a ruler in the synagogue who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now notice what it says. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, it's important here that you and I understand that Paul calls himself an apostle. An apostle. The word apostle literally means a sent one. One sent out as a messenger. It means a commissioned representative, okay? Paul calls himself an apostle. It's a title. It's an office. He says, I'm a sent one. I'm a commissioned representative. I'm a messenger. In other words, Paul tells us he's one of the five, he holds the office of one of the five ministry gifts that the Bible speaks about. In fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what it says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts. Everybody say gifts. Notice the Bible says God gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to people. God gave gifts to people. What were those gifts? What is the gifts that God has given to people? Look at verse 11. Now these are the gifts. What are the gifts? These are the gifts. Christ gave to the church. What are they? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Notice the responsibility of the gifts. They're called, people call them the five-fold ministry gifts. The five, because there's five of them. Five of them. Only one person has ever stood in all five of those. Nobody is all five of them. Nobody, because you're going to see it's a special anointing to be in each category. And nobody has stood in all five of those. Nobody has been an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. There's only one person who stood in all five of them. Do you know who that is? Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says he's the apostle of our faith. The Bible, Jesus himself says, I'm a good shepherd. That's a, that's a pastor. The Bible says he went about the cities and villages teaching. So he's a teacher. An evangelist is one who brings the good news. Jesus was an evangelist. He brought the gospel of the kingdom. He was a prophet. A prophet is one who foretells. Jesus was a prophet. He was constantly telling about this is what's going to happen in the future. So Jesus stood in every one of those. But he's the only person who's ever been anointed to stand in all of those. But there are five of them. They're gifts to the church. They're apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're gifts to the church. And notice what the Bible says their responsibility is. They are to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, 
the body of Christ. Over the years, <laughs> having been in this assignment now for 36 years, I've just about heard everything. Just about. Hadn't heard it all yet. But I've just about. And I've heard people over the years, especially when I was the district superintendent over all those churches and all those preachers, I'd go into referee church fights, unfortunately, and uh, deal with problem situations. And people would say, well, our pastors, uh, we, are, we are paying our pastor to visit. We are paying our pastor to visit. We're paying our pastor to come see us at surgery. We're paying our pastor to, to cut the grass. Had one, we're paying him to cut the grass. That's part, of his, that's part of his assignment. Or I had one church say this. He's not winning enough people to Jesus. And we're paying him to go out and win people to Jesus. That's not what the scripture says. Notice what the scripture says. The role and the purpose of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, notice what it says in verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Amen. You don't pay the pastor to visit. You don't pay the pastor to visit. People have said to me, well, why didn't you come to the hospital? I said, well, I, I, we sent a team to you. Well, you didn't come. No, no, I'm not coming. If I come, you need to be saying goodbye, world, goodbye. If I show up, you next, your next destination is heaven. I'm either going to send you over or I'm going to pull you back. You don't want me to show up to the hospital. You want Pastor Wayne to show up because he's going to sing a song of comfort to you. You want Pastor Stephen to show up because he's going to bring a puppet and make you feel good. You want Pastor Gary to show up because he's going to try to tell you how to get uh, uh, Social Security benefits. Uh, when, you, when I show up, you need to know I'm either going to my eternal home or I'm getting ready to go and Pastor's trying to keep me from going. All right? In all seriousness, it's not my job to visit you. It's my job to equip you to you to do the work of the ministry. You say, well, you got an easy job. Okay, let's trade. Let's trade. Have you ever tried to herd cats? It's a tough job. All right. So a lot of people have a strange view of what the job of the ministry gifts are. Now, here's something you need to understand. There is an anointing that goes with every one of these five full ministry offices. There's an anointing. Laymen cannot take the place of these ministry gifts that God set in the church. One of, that's the reason a committee can't lead a church. They might be smart men. These might be smart ladies. But commit, it's, the church work is supernatural work. It's a God thing. So, understand there's an anointing that goes. Um, a person does not enter, the next one says, a person does not enter any phase of the ministry just because you want to. Because someone told you to, or because someone prophesied to you to. No man calls you into ministry. It is a divine call. It's a divine call. Listen, if somebody talks you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it, the ministry. Okay? See, what a lot of people, it's, it's, 
The ministry is the most wonderful thing in the, all the world, but it can be the toughest thing. Because just to be honest with you, you leave your job, you go home, you don't think about it till the next morning until you get ready to go back to work. The ministry, you don't never leave it. You carry the people's burdens and their cares and their concerns all the time. If we have a family leave the church, I grieve for days. Even though our church is getting larger and larger, everybody who leaves, I grieve over that because I think we've missed the opportunity to minister to them or they've missed an opportunity to hear the word of the Lord. And they're going to need the word of the Lord one day to come. And people say to me, well, you know, I think I've had young people come to me over the years. I say, well, you want to do, I don't know. I might be thinking about the ministry. I'll say, Don, don't, don't do that. You don't want to do it. Why well, isn't it not a good pastor? Is it not good? Are you not having a good? I say, I'm having the time of my life. But it's a call. It's not something you just decide I want to do. It's not something that you put up on a board and say, well, here's the pros and here's the cons and the pros outweigh the cons. You've got to be called to this because it's not a job, it's your life. If you do ministry right, it's your life. It's not something you do eight hours a day and walk away from. It's something you are. It's something you are. And one of the struggles Amanda and I have with a lot of these young ministers is they think they can go and do their church work and then go home and not worry about it. Church work is not something you do, it's something you are. You are a pastor, whether you're at the church house or not. You are a pastor. So a person does not enter any phase of ministry just because you want to, because someone told you to, or because someone prophesied to you. No man calls you into the ministry as a divine cause. Those whom God calls to the ministry, he equips for the ministry. God anoints those called to the ministry and gives them the spiritual ability to stand in whatever office he calls them to. Now, one of the things I've seen over the years is there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that's smarter than every pastor in this town. Honestly, there's people smarter than me in this church. There are people smarter than me in this church. There's a numerous ones of you that are smarter than me here tonight. I mean, you're brilliant. I'm, I'm admired. I admire your brilliance. Now, there's some of you that not as smart as me, but others of you, <laughs> others of you are you're brilliant. But we don't. You don't pastor the church because of your brilliance. There's an anointing that goes with it. There's a, you say, what do you mean? There's a supernatural help that comes along with it, and that supernatural help rest upon the people whom God chooses. Remember, it's his church. It's not our church. And the people he chooses, they don't choose it. He chooses them. Well, why did you get chosen, Pastor? I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's not because I'm better. It's not because I'm smarter. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, in fact, the opposite is true. If you ever get lifted up in pride, the Bible says he chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the brilliant. So as a pastor, you can never get lifted up in pride or puffed up that you're something because the Bible's already said he chooses the weak to confound the wise. All right? Everybody with me? But notice what Paul is. The first one listed of the five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The first one is an apostle, a sent one. A commissioned ambassador, a messenger. 
Now, the Bible teaches us that there's four classes of apostles. There's four classes. I'm going to teach you something tonight that many of you have never been taught before. There's four classes of apostles. The Bible talks about the different classes of apostles. The first class is the highest class, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, nobody stood in his class. You say, Jesus Christ was an apostle? Well, the Bible says he was. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, the sent one, the commissioned representative, and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So Jesus was the great apostle. He was the one sent from heaven to earth. He was a sent one. He was a commissioned representative sent from God to restore man's heritage back to God. And nobody, nobody fits into that category. Okay? The second class of apostles are known as the apostles of the Lamb. Or foundational apostles. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I want to show you something here. Revelation chapter 21 verse 14 says this. Talking about the new Jerusalem. It says this. Now the wall of that city, which is 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide. All right? 1,500 miles. It's 1,500 miles square. 1,500 miles high. 1,500 miles wide. The city itself, the city not a nation. The city will go from New York all the way to Los Angeles. Just one city. And it's 1,500 miles high. This lets us know that the city has different levels. So it's 1,500 miles wide. It's 1,500 miles high. That's the city of New Jerusalem. And the Bible says here about the city, Revelation 21, 14. Now the wall of that city had 12 foundations, and on them were names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, Jesus is the highest class apostle. The second class is the apostles of the Lamb. Well, who were they? Who were the apostles of the Lamb? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It tells us who they are. Acts chapter 1, verse number 15. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names were about 120. And he said... Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Verse 18 talks about that. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Verse 21. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day which he was taken us from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the apostles of the Lamb are those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly ministry. So there's no more apostles of the lambs today. Because there's nobody else who was an eyewitness of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now understand this. Paul does not fit into this category. Paul will not have his name on one of those foundational stones of New Jerusalem. 
because that's reserved for the apostles of the Lamb, according to Revelation 21. And who were the apostles of the Lamb? The apostles of the Lamb were those apostles who held that office, who, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. And then the third foundation is the foundational apostles. The foundation, what do you mean the foundational apostles? The foundation of the gospel was revealed to them. He was revealed to them. The foundation of the gospel was revealed to them. The apostle Paul, people like that. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Hurry up. My time is running out, so let's move quickly. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace God uh, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul says this. He says there's some things about Christ that has never been known by any man until the, it was made known to the apostles. So there was revelation that the gospel of the gospel, which was given to these foundational apostles, that has not been given to anybody else. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, 20. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice it says those apostles laid the foundation for everything that we believe today. Now understand this, there is no more foundational revelation. Listen, listen to me, it's important you understand that for the days to come. For the Bible says, in the last days, in the last days, some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Bible also says in the last days, false apostles will arise declaring strange things. You'll see them on TV. Late at night. They, you, they throw the term apostle around flippantly to impress people. And they'll say, I've got a new revelation. There is no more foundational revelation. There is still revelation. Understand what I'm saying? There is still revelation on the foundation of the foundation that we don't know yet. There is still insight. There is still things that the Lord wants to show us about his word. But there's no more foundational revelation that equals to the word of God. This book does not have to be added to. Okay? This book is enough. And if somebody comes around and say, I'm an apostle and I got a foundation, I've got a revelation in addition to that, you know they're a false, false apostle. Okay? Because we don't need to add anything. We need in revelation on what's in here. I'm going to tell you, if we can just figure out one, one millionth of what's in here, that's enough to get you through life. So understand what I'm saying. Foundational apostles were people like the Apostle Pauls and others who wrote the Bible. They laid the foundation. It's the foundation of everything we believe in. There is no more of that revelation coming. We've got enough. There is revelation of it still available and more to come that shows us what this word really means, but there's no other foundational revelation coming to add to the Bible.
Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? And then the fourth type of apostle, and I'll finish with this, is the non-foundational apostles. These are just the sent ones today on special mission. Let me give you an example. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I, Paul said this, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. That word messenger is the word apostle. Your apostle. And the one who ministered to my need. Now here's something you've got to understand. Because you'll see them on TV. I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. An apostle, first of all, is a preacher or teacher. All the apostles in the Bible were preachers and teachers. In fact, the Bible says, Paul told Timothy, I've been anointed apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. An apostle is first and foremost a preacher and or teacher of the word of God. Now listen to this. The apostolic calling has nothing to do with ruling over churches or over people. Listen to me. The apostolic calling has nothing to do with ruling over churches or over people. Every once in a while, I'll get a call from some so-called apostle. And he'll say, the Lord told me to call you. I'm supposed to be over you and over your church. Because this is crazy teaching going around that all these apostles and everybody's supposed to be under an apostle. We are under apostle. He's the head of the church. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So are there still apostles today? You better believe it. There are still people sent out, commissioned representatives sent out. But their first and primary function is to preach and teach the word. The second thing about a God-called apostle is they ought to have some signs working in their ministry. An apostle is the highest class, so they ought to have some signs working in their ministry. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't leave me yet, don't leave me yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Truly the signs of an apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. You got that one up there? 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Notice when an apostle is on the scene, there will be signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. He's a preacher, teacher, but he has the supernatural operating in his ministry. All right? And then here's something else. To stand in the office of an apostle... One must have a deep personal experience with the Lord, something very real and beyond the ordinary. The Apostle Paul, though he never saw Jesus in the flesh, he never saw Jesus in the flesh, and he wasn't at the Last Supper. But he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I have received of the Lord, and therefore I deliver unto you. And then he begins to describe everything that happened at the Last Supper when they observed communion. He describes it in detail. How Jesus took the bread and blessed it. How Jesus took the juice and blessed it and said, This is my blood which is offered for you. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. But he says, for I've received it of the Lord, therefore I delivered unto you. In other words, he had such a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ that Jesus revealed to him 
the meaning and what went on at the Last Supper. So an apostle is somebody who has a deep personal relationship with Jesus and they have signs and wonders operating in their ministry and they're on a special commission sent by God for a purpose. The The Bible doesn't say it, but people call Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard the name Smith Wigglesworth? People call him the apostle of faith. Why? Because it's very obvious he was sent to the world with the message of faith. All right? Everybody with me? Mark Buntain. People call Mark Buntain an apostle. What was he? He was a missionary. He was a missionary. He was sent to the nation of India. And hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor, the China Inland Mission, the whole nation, thousands and thousands in China came to know Jesus Christ because he was sent by God on a special mission. Everybody with me? Now, so we have apostles. We have an apostle. That's what Paul was. Now, here's something you get to understand. I'll close with this. If you have an apostle, true apostles, you have false apostles. You have false apostles. Many of them are on late night TV. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said this. A true apostle said this. For such are false apostles. So there are false apostles. People who claim to be apostles and are not. False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So it's important in these last days because there's going to come in a greater measure seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that's going to pull the very elect away. The Bible says it's important that you understand what a true apostle is and what a false apostle is. We'll talk about false apostles next time on God's Word for Victorious Living. Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.